The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the growing concerns for marketers when it comes to privacy and compliance. Joining us is Grothaman Ragathaman, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Achilles. Achilles is a MarTech solutions provider that looks to restore transparency, equitability, and trust in the digital marketing sector. Rooted in the pillars of unification, discovery, and engagement, Achilles benefits brands, platforms, and consumers alike by delivering solutions that ensure privacy compliant personalization. And today, G-Man and I are going to talk about why data management is more than just privacy compliance. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Gothaman G-Man Ragathaman, the Chief Executive Officer at Achilles. Gothaman, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you, Benjamin. I know you go by G-Man, but did I pronounce your full name correctly at least once in the introduction? All the time. <laughs> Gothaman Ragathaman just sounds wonderful. I, I appreciate how good your name sounds. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show to be my guest. You work at Achilles, which does some interesting things when it comes to how marketers think about privacy and compliance. Talk to me a little bit about what your company does for starters. Our company focuses on safe and secure usage of customer data. Typically, what happens is every enterprise owns their own data sets. But equally, in this new world of marketing, what you don't own as important as what you own in terms of data sets. And our estimation is that more than two-thirds of the data is being bought or from the outside environment to enrich the profiles. In the world beyond cookies or in with the GDPR or CCPA complaints era, the external data that you use to enrich your profiles need to be as much compliant as your own data sets. So we help companies manage it very well. All right. So there's the difference between first party and third party data. And most companies are using a blend of the two. Customers are coming into your website, giving you name, email address. You're using Clearbit to get company address and all the other information about who else works in the company. And you need to make sure not only your data is compliant, but the other resources that you're using for enrichment are compliant as well. Talk to me about some of the solutions that marketers need to be thinking about when it comes to privacy compliance. To start with, typically enterprises have a data management platform, a DMP, and they are now progressing towards a customer data platform or a CDP. 
And then now moving to another situation where the CDP needs to also maintain consent or a consent management platform. I'm introducing too many acronyms, but the reality is that companies who manage use first party data needs to maintain a record of the consent they have received from the consumers for activating them. Similarly, every enterprise needs to maintain a record of the consent that they have received from the consumers in their own enterprises. And when they share that information for activation, every time something is changing to the consent, both of them need to maintain a record of the changes that's been made to it. That's where the proverbial cookie crumbles because consent is not limited to only one enterprise. Consent is universal because one data is being used to multiple enterprises. That's where the challenge comes in. And we provide that universal distributed consent of the consumer across these different enterprises. So I want to break that down a little. First off, you mentioned the letter salad of all of the TLAs, the three-letter acronyms that we're using to capture, store, and validate our data, the data management platform that is the DMP, the customer data platform, the CDP, my personal favorite. And then there's the privacy and consent platform. Was that the other one? Consent management platform, CMP. CMP. Okay. So let's just put them all together and call them the LMNOP. <laughs> we have all of these various platforms where we're collecting data. Some data is ours. Some data is brought in from third parties. And you need to basically fact check whether the customer has said, yeah, it's okay that you have this data and you use it. Walk me through the process of validation. How do you think about checking off the box that, yes, a customer gave you consent? Let's start with first-party data. So let me do some role-playing in this. If it is me as uh, Gautaman, I'm a subscriber for Telco, and I've given my T and C to the Telco provider. I ticked all the boxes so the Telco knows that Gautaman is, this is the phone number, and I can send him marketing communication, email programs, or any other data that they can use my data for. Same Gautaman has a different email address and I've logged into New York Times and I subscribe to New York Times as well. It's me, but I have a different consent with New York Times and New York Times are given them permission to use my data for various purposes. But the consent I've given is to individual enterprises. I do not give consent to them to use my data between each other in specificity. Okay, so I, Ben Shapiro, go to AT&T and say, I want a phone number. Here's my address and here's my credit card information and here's my name and social security number. And by the way, I'm a subscriber to the New York Times and I say, New York Times, here's my email address and you're able to collect data on what content I'm interested in. But I've never told AT&T that they can have consent to understand what content I'm interested in for use in you know, selling me new products or services. But there is potentially a data exchange between the New York Times and AT&T. And I did accept AT&T and New York Times privacy policy. So where does that break down? What am I consenting to? And where is the line where they can't share data? So the consent you have given to both of them, what it says is that when a consumer goes back and asks them, what have you done with my data? They have to provide it to you. It's an obligation by the enterprise to provide what's been done with your data. So where it breaks down is, for example, let's say that I am on the New York Times website and New York Times know that I am Gautaman and AT&T wants to serve an ad for me on the New York Times website. They also know that I have visited there and an ad is being served there. Both AT&T and New York Times needs to maintain a record of contacting me 
in their consent management platform. That's the compliance because they need to tell you that, hey, Benjamin and hey, Jiman, you went there, I've served an ad for you. You might not ask them every time, but it is a compliance requirement that the records of processing of what's been done with your data is maintained and kept in a ledger. I guess there's two questions that I have. One is when I go to a website in their terms and conditions, when I give consent, I don't read the terms and conditions. Let's be honest. I check off the, I agree to the terms and conditions. And isn't there a term, I assume a universal term in everyone's website that says we're collecting every piece of data under the sun. We want access to your firstborn child and we want the rights to be able to share that data and him with whatever other marketing services or providers we have. Like, aren't there legal terms? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing and being a little ridiculous, but isn't there a legal term that says we're going to take your data and we're going to share it with our marketing providers in the T's and C's for most websites? Absolutely. In fact, the regulations are now wanting those T's and C's to be consumer-friendly, not legalese. And those terms also maintain that you have to maintain a record of what's been done with your data. That's the difference in the regulations today. Okay. So I sign up for AT&T and the New York Times. They both have rights to my first and second born children, and they could share them with each other, basically, because that's written into their terms and conditions. The second question I have for you is the idea of recording consent. Talk to me about the mechanism for not only checking off the box, but recording consent. And if they're sharing data, how do they share that they have consent? Right. So as per your T's and C's, you have already given them consent to use your data. So there is a consent management platform where they have a list of all the subscribers and across many fields, they just tick the boxes. Not many people read it and give restrictive consent. So generally it is universal, but you can choose to say, I don't want to receive emails. I'll only want to receive uh, uh, through phone calls or there are many ways in which they can contact you back. So there are some checklists, right? So both the enterprises maintain a record of all the subscribers with them. And whenever an activity is being done on them, they need to update it, Benjamin, to say that, yes, I have reached or activated this person during this campaign. That's where the, when the cookies replace this first-party data, both the enterprises need to record of the same activity. So Benjamin's data will get updated on both New York Times and on, let's say, AT&T's data set. That's where we come in with our distributed ledger technology that whenever an activity is being done, we provide them a common ledger. They can update it because it's simultaneous updating for both the enterprises. Neither of them can own it because there will be bias or trust that's under question. So we give them a distributed ledger of records of what's being done with the consumer's data. Okay, so it's similar to, you know, think of how Bitcoin operates where there's a blockchain, there's an independent ledger that is being kept of all of these transactions. Now, in your case, it's not a Bitcoin was sent from this person to this person. It's consent was given by this consumer for this website, and you have a record of all of the consents across all the various websites. I just want to jump in in this before people get alarmed that, no, why should I give my data to another company? Our technology ensures that the data doesn't leave enterprises' native location. We just maintain a record in their own vault, in their own companies. We don't maintain a server where everybody's data is sitting, and that's not worth it yet. AT&T is not sharing your personal information with Achilles, and then Achilles is not sharing that information with the New York Times. You are just recording that there was consent and what type of consent it was. 
yeah, nothing comes out of the servers. That's a technology which we have applied for patent now. It's patent pending. It's a very unique one where the federated query, as we call it, between multiple servers on a distributed ledger. You got to say that one more time. Federated. Federated query. Federated query on distributed servers. That's so simple. Well, you know, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to scare it off with too many terminologies. I'm very conscious of this. What it means is that a group of companies can come together and share the data in a safe and secure manner for activation amongst them. So it's need not be just AT&T and New York Times. You can add Washington Post to it. You can add another pub, another website to it. They all can come together and share the first party data amongst each other in a federation, in a compliant manner. It's the universal consent platform is essentially what you're trying to build. And so companies can understand if they have consent or whether their consent has been shared from their marketing partners without actually being the arbiters of what consent has been given. That's right. Yeah. So you mentioned moving to a cookie-less world. It seems like a lot of the ways that companies are figuring out if they have consent is you visit a website, you go through the terms and conditions, the cookie is dropped, it's updated to say, yes, we have consent for this user. Now we're potentially going away from cookies or likely going away from cookies in the near future. Talk to me about the technology behind this in a post-cookie world. Cookies were actually used to track a consumer's journey on the web so that they can be served ads wherever they have visited, right? And essentially that means that the cookies is the connecting tissue between many computers, many networks. And that means that cookies were literally surviving the internet as it is today. While the technology which has been used right now to track an individual through the cookie is only 50% effective because there are some guessworks that happens even when the cookies are there. So there's a 50% chance of they identifying me in any other website through a cookie. The problem with cookie is it doesn't record the consent. That is why it is failing. That is why it is not compliant. And that is why Chrome removes cookies in the next one and a half years time. Safari has removed the cookies, Firefox has removed the cookies, because cookie technically is just a cookie which doesn't carry your consent anywhere, right? So when cookies go away, the consent is gone back to the respective entities. So internet, as we speak today as an open web, is under a question mark of how do I talk to each other? How do I connect and how do I build a business of a network of computers? That's where the problem comes in. And we need to find a way in which the network of computers across enterprises are able to share information in a collaborative manner for the benefit of the open web. Otherwise, just the vault gardens of the various social platforms and search is the only way internet will live. We'll probably have 25 to 30 concrete gardens and you go in and come out, you will not know what happened beyond that particular enterprise. And that is not good news for the open web. And that is where the issue of how do we find something beyond the cookies to connect the computers to talk to each other comes in. It seems like the concept of decentralized data management and privacy compliance makes a lot of sense. And mostly as we start thinking about better understanding of how companies are collecting data, do they have consent to use that data? You know, as the light is being shined on marketers as consumers' privacy concerns are being aired, having a decentralized record makes a lot of sense. 
So, G-Man, I feel like this is a good place for us to stop. We're going to bring you back tomorrow to discuss a little bit more about privacy and some of the problems with personalization. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Gothaman Ragathaman, the Chief Executive Officer at Achilles, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, G-Man and I are going to talk about the perils of personalization in a privacy-first world. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Gothaman, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Gothaman, R-G-O-W-T-H-A-M-A-N, the letter R. Or you can visit his company's website, which is Achilles.com, A-Q-I-L-L-I-Z-I, Achilles.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year so hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning all right that's it for today but until next time my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.